Thank you for joining us today. We would love to connect with you on Facebook and Instagram or join us for one of our Sunday services and experience the worship and message live. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Josh. I am the youth pastor here at Poema Church. When I was rehearsing myself, I said one community. That is our former name, if you didn't know. Uh, but yes, uh, I am uh, speaking in this series called uh, People. And uh, I think it's a pretty cool series. It's um, basically, uh, who doesn't see a person once a day? <laughs> you can't not see a person. I mean, you could, but you'd have to try really hard. Um, and the topic that I got given to, to speak on that I'm really excited about, but also very challenged by was um, Jesus's interactions with people. And I think uh, it's really interesting to read his interactions with people because they're intensely varied. He really does say many different types of things to different types of people. So we're just going to kind of scratch the surface together. And uh, I didn't get chosen to do this because I'm the most Christ-like. Just this morning as my wife and I were pulling up and this is like a classic like preacher thing. Oh yeah, just this morning. And then it was like a few weeks ago, but I'm just like lying. Like, no, you can ask her. It was literally this morning. We were pulling up and as I was going to, to park, I was trying to find a spot on the street there and uh, I, just, I kind of like hit the curb and she was like, babe, you're on the curb. And I was like, I know I'm on the curb. Can you not add to my anxiety by telling me what's going on right now? <laughs> Super Christ-like, right? So then... We turn the corner, we, we find a spot, and, uh, you know, my wife is just, she goes into explaining kind of like why she was feeling upset. She's like, you know, I didn't really get a lot of sleep last night, and I was like, neither did I! <laughs> so I'm just killing the, the Jesus game right now. Uh, but yeah, we're going to kind of get into that, and we're going to learn uh, a little bit about the way Jesus interacted. And I, I want to just kind of put something out there to have you hold in your mind as we go through each point. I kind of broke it down into different points. And uh, there's two things going on, I think, when we read the Bible. One, we're getting our cues from Jesus of how to interact with different types of people. But the other thing is, is when we read the text, this is how he would interact with us. So there's two things going on. We're receiving from Christ, but also taking that and giving it out. So as each point goes on, recognize both things are happening. This is the way Jesus treats you and also the way we should treat each other. So the first one, um, right out the gate, you know what? Jesus sees people as people, not projects. Guilty as charged. How many times have we just put an arbitrary timeline on somebody to be like, oh, you should be past this. Why? What timeline have we assigned to that person to be past a certain whatever? Jesus doesn't really do that with people. He doesn't put any kind of timeline on their progress. He gives them clues as to where they're headed. And I believe that in this moment of healing, we also had a little bit of prophecy, people speaking where they're headed. And that's a good thing to know. Okay, this is where I think God is taking me. But he doesn't put a timeline on it. On purpose. He doesn't, typically, he doesn't say, in one year, you'll be doing blah, blah, blah. Because God's not worried about that stuff like we are, these arbitrary projects we put on each other. I can prove it to you. So, in the book of Luke, uh, we have a moment where Jesus is talking to one of his uh, followers. The guy's name is Levi. So Luke is a really, let's just pause right here. The book of Luke is a really cool book because it was written in Greek for the first Greek church as a um, 
kind of a historical document on the way Jesus lived and, and, and was. And what's cool about Luke is that it was actually sponsored by a guy named Theophilus. And at the very beginning of the book, which historians love, it says, this book was sponsored, thank you, Theophilus, for paying me to write this book. So a lot of historical texts just start, but Luke actually gives you a place and a time and a person that sponsored the writing of this. So Luke is a doctor, yes, and he focuses on healing, but I don't, and this is just my own opinion, I don't know that he was a medical doctor. He might have just been a writer. So he was sponsored by this guy, Theophilus. He was an accredited guy, and he writes Luke. So this is one of Jesus' interactions in, in Luke 5, 27. So after this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Okay, pause. If you don't know, tax collector were basically the scourge of society at the time. People hated them. People treated them like crooks. People avoided tax collectors at all costs. So for a rabbi to walk up and start a conversation with a tax collector is already Jesus treating people as people, not a project. <clears throat> and he said to him, Jesus says, follow me. And leaving everything, he, Levi, rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. Amazing. Totally controversial at the time. Totally amazing. Jesus just being a person. Jesus invites people to follow him before he decides that they need to change. We all need to change. We all understand that. But Jesus doesn't say, change first, then follow me. He says, follow me and change will come. I, I listened to this sermon kind of getting ready for this, and it was uh, a guy named John Maxwell, and he, he threw out a, a couple amazing lines. It's actually really good. If you go on YouTube, it's, it's called uh, Paul's Blueprint for uh, Evangelism. And so one thing that uh, John Maxwell points out is, I don't have to be like them to reach them, but I have to like them to reach them. I think that's pretty awesome. Okay, so here's my next point. <clears throat> Jesus commends people for their positive qualities. Who would have thunk it? A compliment, okay? Jesus, the one who created everything, gives this guy, Nathaniel, in a certain text, a compliment. It's in uh, uh, John 1, 43 and 51, if you want to read it. But basically, Jesus runs into this guy, and he says... Uh, you are the best Israelite I've ever seen, and you're also super honest. That's, like, amazing. Imagine Jesus walked in this room and was like, you're the best Canadian I've ever seen, and you're crazy honest. It's so simple. He just compliments the guy on his positive qualities. And, and basically, Nathaniel's confounded, and he says, how do you know who I am? And Jesus said, well, I saw you sitting under a fig tree. And he's like, Nathaniel goes, I believe I think you're the king of Israel. I can't believe that you called me out on that. And Jesus says, you believe because of that? Oh, just wait till what you're going to see. And just that positive interaction just brings that, it just invites Nathaniel right into following Jesus. We can be a little bit more positive. Find the positive in your colleague, okay? I had a bad week with positives and colleagues, so ask my wife. Don't ask her for all the details, though, because that would be... Okay, anyways... Here's another one. Jesus always displays grace. And I thought it was so cool that that line, the grace upon grace line, came up in that song. It gave me chills because uh, this is what uh, the writer John kind of, at the, the first chapter of John is really awesome. It's kind of complex, but it's really awesome. And it, what it is is John is setting up who he believes Jesus to be. It's not really like a historical outlook. It's more of like a deep 
intellectual, like kind of theological outlook, but it's really cool. And John basically paints Jesus in this way and, and kind of sets him up like this. He says, this is John 1, 16. From Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now that grace upon grace is a really interesting line, but it's also kind of immediately read in our normal context as like grace and then another grace. So like, I'll have a cookie and then I'll have another cookie. <laughs> like two, grace upon grace, boom. But actually in the Greek thought there, what John is trying to capitalize on is an unending grace. So like to kind of read it, you'd read it grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. So if you want, you can do this little experiment. If you take out your calculator on your phone and you go 100 divided by 30 is 3.3333333. 130 don't really fit together. So in math, they do this thing. They do 333 dot, 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 or they put a line over top. It just, it just explains that it goes on forever and ever and ever. And that is the thought there behind that grace upon grace. It's a continuation. It never stops. So we're fueled by Jesus' grace forever. And that grace is what should fuel our interactions and our actions towards the people around us, just like it does Jesus. Here's another thing. Jesus... Jesus recognizes that we all have needs, regardless of social, racial, or economic status. And I was thinking about this. I think sometimes maybe a poor person will look at a rich person and say they don't have any needs. And a rich person will look at a poor person and say, I don't have time for them. They have too many needs. The truth is, is that we all have needs. We all do. And Jesus treats us that way. He knows that we have needs. But also the person to your left and the person to your right, and the person behind you and the person in front of you, which in some cases is me, we, all, we have needs. And Jesus is aware and okay with that. But also be aware of that in other people. That duality thing is happening right now. We recognize that Jesus treats us as though we have needs, but also we should treat each other as though they have needs. So I'm going to go through a couple little things. So the Samaritan woman at the well, if you don't know that story, it's a really interesting story where Jesus kind of in the heat of the summer sun meets this woman at a well. And she's from a race that typically the Jewish people didn't like. Just didn't like is like a really, really soft way of putting that. It's a very Western way of putting that, okay? They hated each other, like legit. And like sometimes we claim like certain kind of like racial tension. This was like super obvious and everyone accepted it. They're like, yeah, I don't like you. You don't like me. Like that, that was just what it was. And so Jesus decides to run into this person. And he treats her so amazing in comparison and contrast to the culture. Now, he treats her amazing regardless because he's pure. But in contrast to the society, it's almost like as if he's doing something wrong, he's being so nice. It's like <laughs> he's talking to this woman when the disciples arrive back to where they were. He was, they're all kind of like, what, Jesus, why are you talking to this person? And when Jesus first approaches this woman, he says, can I have a drink? And she says, why are you talking to me? 
like, you know, I don't know if anyone's randomly said hello to you on the street and it kind of took you as a surprise. It would have been like 10 times more surprising than that. Like, I don't know, Kanye West walking down the street, super celebrity, and you happen to be walking down the same street. You're like, whoa, that's Kanye West. And he goes, hey, man, how's it going? You'd be like, uh, uh, good, I like your music, and you're cool. <laughs> So, like, that's the kind of interaction. This girl would have been like, why are you speaking to me? I don't understand. Jesus recognizes that she had needs. But here's another person that he recognizes that has needs, is a centurion soldier, probably the total opposite of that person. So a centurion soldier in context of the time, they were the overlords of the city that they lived, that Jesus lived in at the time. They basically made sure that people went to bed at the right time, nobody did anything illegal. It would be imagined like there's cops everywhere, watching you do everything. It would get kind of like overwhelming. Like, oh, I feel protected at first. And then you'd be like, okay, this is like annoying. Like I, went, I slightly went through that stop sign, like, come on. So it's like, that's the sort of like thing that it would be like these overlords watching every action that you do. And Jesus gets approached by this guy. And this guy in that society to a Jewish rabbi would have absolutely no needs. He would be so rich and powerful. What would he ever need from a rabbi? Nothing. But he rec- the, the, the centurion recognizes something in Jesus, and Jesus treats him f- more than fairly. Not only to mention the fact that after their interaction is completed, Jesus actually brags about the amount of faith that this Roman heathen, in, so to speak, has. He goes, wow, I've never seen faith like that. That's how Jesus treats people that economically and status-wise are above him. He knows and recognizes that they have needs. So going back to that duality thing, when there's rich people around you or you're in an uncomfortable situation, they're humans too. They have needs. So then another character that Jesus kind of runs into that would be interesting in his social status would have been very powerful to, to some is a guy named Nicodemus. He was a lawyer, kind of a smart guy. And basically Nicodemus is so nervous about meeting Jesus, he decides to plan their their get-together at night. So in our society now, night is not really, I don't know, it's just nighttime. People don't mind if it's 9 o'clock and nice outside. It's nighttime. They don't really think about it. But at that time, it kind of signified, like, sneaking around and, like, you do stuff you shouldn't do at night. You wait till nighttime because there was no electricity, there's no street lamps, so everything shady happened after the sun went down. So Nicodemus was, like, embarrassed, so he's like, I'm going to go find this just Jesus character, but at nighttime. And he has this interaction, and Jesus, typically, with a lot of the kind of lawyer, Pharisee-type guys, he would be pretty rude with them, but for this particular thing, he recognized that this guy has some serious needs. And, and Jesus has a really interesting dialogue with this guy. And basically, the, the whole, the, one of the most famous Christian verses for God so loved the world, that comes out of that conversation. And Jesus putting on display, yeah, I don't care who you are or what you do. I love you. And I came for you. And so this socially rich sort of guy would have had a lot of moving parts and a lot of people to please and all that sort of stuff. He meets Jesus and Jesus still recognizes this person has needs. And even when we feel like socially satisfied or stuff like that, we need to recognize that we still have needs. Okay, so this is another one but I, that I really liked um, this point um, because I think it's very important right now in our time, but Jesus is culturally intelligent, but not intimidated by pop, politics, or religious opinion. 
and what I mean by that is there's obviously so much kind of like things going on with social media and it's just when people invented the internet they did not think that this was what was going to happen okay they did not imagine instagram okay they they imagined like information and everyone getting way smarter and it didn't work okay but jesus jesus recognizes particularly in the story of the samaritan woman that this sort of like opinion of me talking is to this person is very controversial. He knew that. He was very aware of that. So there's a great line in that story in John uh, 4, 1, 25 or 26. And it says, Jesus was going from one place to another. The Pharisees were kind of like getting, they're like gaining on him. They're like trying to figure him out. They're like, what is this Jesus guy doing? He's like baptizing people and like he's healing people. Like what is this guy's deal? There's something sketchy going on. And so Jesus comes to this moment where he's going from, uh, I think it's Judea to, to Galilee. I know probably none of you are going to look it up. But anyways, he's going from one city to another. And basically in that time, and the line says in the Bible, which is beautiful, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So what's interesting about that is Jesus actually didn't have to go through Samaria. It's like, oh no, the Bible's lying. No. <laughs> Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. The more common route to where he was going was all the way around Samaria. So every rabbi friend that he would have go, would go all the way around Samaria to get where he was going, where Jesus is like, well, it's faster to go through Samaria, so I'm going to go through Samaria. But it's not like he had to go through it geographically. He had to go through it to meet this Samaritan woman. It's more of a, I had to find this divine appointment than it is geographically I needed to go through there. And so what's beautiful about that is he totally goes out of his way socially and politically to meet this person. He goes out of his way. And so basically the line that kills me from, from a, um, that sermon I referenced was that requires us to go to them, not for them to come to us. And I think Jesus does obviously a masterful job because he not only comes from heaven to earth, but even in his earthly ministry, he goes out of his way to, to come find someone who he knows has needs. So this is a great line that um, our kind of research team f fed me. So I'm like, my response was copy paste onto my sermon and on my life. <laughs> so this is from much, a, a much smarter guy than myself, a guy named Timothy Keller. And um, it's from a book called Prodigal God. And Timothy Keller is an incredible, uh, intelligent uh, guy, but he is very wordy. So if you're a little shaky on that, don't worry about it. Don't go read Timothy Keller. Start somewhere else. But he's a good, he's a good read if you want something kind of like weird and deep. But anyways, this is, this is a great line that I love that um, <clears throat> I'm going to give you a shout out, Joy. Joy sent me this. So in general, religiously observant people were offended by Jesus. But those estranged from religious and moral observances were intrigued and attracted to him. We see this throughout the New Testament accounts of Jesus' life. In every case where Jesus meets a religious person, an outcast, the outcast is the one who connects with Jesus. Jesus' teachings consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing or, at, at that time, the, the uh, Torah-believing religious people of the day. However... In, the, in our main churches today, we do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders that Jesus attracts are not 
attracted to contemporary churches, even our most avant-garde ones, meaning our most like artsy-fartsy ones. We tend to draw conservative, button-down, moralistic people. The licentious and liberated or the broken and marginalized avoid church. It just is what it is. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and practicing of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. I, will th I suck at that, so <laughs> I'm going to throw myself under the bus right away. Um, one thing that Jesus does, and especially in the case of this Samaritan woman, is he finds something that they connect on in their conversation. And uh, she asks him a kind of like out there question. And, and he, he answers her. And it, the reason why I'm not reading the whole story is because it's very layered and it's very deep. I just want you to get the, the main points here. Go read it yourself. It's really interesting. But, but the main point is that Jesus answers her questions. He kind of takes her in. He, her question doesn't really make sense. On, but Jesus validates it by giving her a conversation anyways. Find the 1% that you agree on with somebody and give that 99% of your effort. Don't find the 99% you don't agree on with somebody and just keep drilling that down because it's not effective. I've tried it, it doesn't work. So Tying into that, here's another point. Jesus communicates to people on their level. So I wanna give some freedom to people. If you don't feel confident like discussing big sociological issues like and you don't know them and you it, don't worry about it bring them to somebody who you might think are interested in those things it's okay but if you know and you recognize someone has needs or are alone or need connection and community just go hang out with them it's it's really simple but it's something that we kind of feel like oh i feel like i need to have all the answers it's it's okay you don't need to have all the answers I don't have all the answers. I have some thoughts and some opinions that I think are helpful to guide people towards, you know, thinking deeper and all that sort of stuff. But I really think if you struggle with that, be okay with that. But also my challenge is get smarter by reading. Take time to not watch Stranger Things and read something interesting that interests you because likely if it interests you, it interests somebody else. I, I like Stranger Things. I don't know if that's allowed biblically. Yeah. I'm a little disappointed, though. I have to be honest. Like, I'm not going to say any spoilers, but season two, I don't know. All right. No, I know we're on season three. It's just season two was, like, a little weak, and I, you know, anyways, we're getting off track here, guys. We're getting distracted. Jesus ministers to the whole person physical, emotional, and spiritual. So physically, there's a lot of accounts where he feeds people. Um, obviously, there's one where he feeds 5,000 people. That's a crazy story. Um, another one that's a little bit more intimate and interesting to me is that Jesus, um, the disciples kind of abandon him after he is crucified on the cross. And he instead of kind of finding like a new crew, because like when we get offended, we just go find a new crew. Like that's just how it goes. Like, you know what? If you don't like me, I don't like you either. Go away. Okay? So Jesus goes back to his old crew after they 
completely abandoned him, like, let's be honest. And he cooks them breakfast. He cooks them fish on the seashore. Pretty picturesque. You know, he takes them out for a nice brunch, basically. <laughs> I imagine they had bagel and lox, because that's what I would want. But that's like, you know, bagels, capers, cream cheese, and smoked salmon. Some of you are like, that's gross. That's not a breakfast food. It is to me. Okay, so, but Jesus uses hospitality. Now, hospitality is a gifting. And Jesus uses that gifting to invite people back in. And he uses that with Levi, we read earlier. He goes to his house. There's other people. He goes to their houses. He spends time with them on their place. And he attends to their needs physically, their physical needs. Emotional. There's a, a moment where he is kind of at a dinner, and there's three people sitting there. There's a guy named Lazarus, and it's his friend. And there's uh, Martha and Mary. And, and they're all family, and they're all kind of like hanging out together. And Martha's, you know, she's like, making sure things work you know she's making the dinner she's like bringing the stuff back and forth and Lazarus and Mary are like just sitting there now in the culture at the time usually the men wouldn't do that sort of work it is what it is I can't I don't know I'm not, not gonna get into it but basically uh, Martha comes up and is like okay Jesus can you get Mary to give me a hand here because like I need to do the dishes and like you know like we're on a schedule here and Jesus doesn't really say no or yes. He kind of just says, you're burdened with many things. I call it the many things syndrome. We just get burdened with all the things that we got to do and get done. And like, it happens to us all the time. But Jesus says, listen, look at what Mary's doing. She's leaning into me. And so I kind of came up with this lame little slogan. But if it's not time to clean, it's time to lean. If it's not time to do all the things, it's time to lean into Jesus. Feeling overwhelmed by all the things, just lean into Jesus. Which is the opposite of like the kitchen mantra, because it's like if there's time to lean, there's time to clean, but I'm going to kind of flip that. <laughs> if you don't know, I worked in a few kitchens and I was a chef for a little while, and that was, you know, it's giving me PTSD just saying that out loud. <laughs> and lastly, spiritual. Jesus gives us spiritual rest. The parts of us that we can't really see or feel or touch. The parts in our soul. And there's a, an amazing line that Jesus delivers in, in Matthew. And he says, are you burned out on religion? Are you burned out on trying really hard? Why don't you just come alongside me? And what that means, I think, in the context of our duality is sometimes we need to give things in Jesus and sometimes we need to just get around each other. Just kind of like, you know what? Leave the dishes in the sink and go spend time with somebody. Le learn that grace and that rhythm of community and connection. I think it's really cool. And I, Jesus puts that on display. And he, he just, he takes care of us and knows our needs are physical, emotional, and spiritual. And I think that's really important for us to do for each other. If you know someone is having an emotional time, don't just tell them to, you know, pull your socks up because that's the natural inclination. We want to do, we, we got stuff to do. Maybe just tell them, hey, go take five minutes in a quiet room and just pray. But I need you back in five minutes, okay? <laughs> so this is one fascinating element of Jesus' character that I think intrigues everybody when they read the biblical text. Jesus asks questions to reveal our character. If you've noticed, Jesus asks a lot of questions. Actually, I have a little stat here. 
In the Gospels, Jesus asks many more questions than he answers. To be precise, Jesus asks 307 questions. He has asked about 183, of which he only directly answers three of them. Asking questions was central to Jesus' belief and teaching. I believe that we as people learn by asking questions. I get closer to God when I have a question and I go try to find out more about what it is. And sometimes it leaves me with more questions, but I'm actually satisfied. I'm satisfied with understanding that there are more dialogue out there. There are more Christians dealing with like certain things that I thought maybe I was the only one. I don't know where I got that narrative from, but we just, we, we, we go down that route. Are we the only one? Am I the only one that feels this way? There's like 7 billion of us, probably not. So Jesus often tells a story or an illustration and finishes it with a question. Like we talked about last week, if you weren't here, it was really cool. We talked about the story of the Good Samaritan. But if you don't know, the very ending of the, of, the, of the parable, Jesus poses this question. Who in this story was the most neighborly? Who was the neighbor? That's the question. And so what's cool about that, and I find encouraging, and, and some people might be like, what? No way. This was actually not unique to Jesus at all. This was classic rabbinic teaching. So the rabbis of the time, they would ask you questions when you had a question. And the reason why is because in that culture, it was very insulting to be told the answer. Because they, they wanted you to engage in the thought of moving forward, of being like, hey, I don't understand this. Why is this and that? And Jesus might kind of change a little bit the context of what he's saying by asking you a question. And then you go, what? And he wants you to go figure it out. That's the point. Because if he just tells you, he just tells you. It's not, our, our life and our spiritual life is not like math. I wish it was because there's a right and there's a wrong. But a lot of the times our spiritual life goes through a thing where we're like, what is the answer to this life problem? Sometimes Jesus just poses a question to that exact problem. So I'm going to give you an amazing story that <laughs> I laughed at. And I don't know, maybe... Maybe you won't find it as funny. So it's in uh, John 11, 7 through 10. So basically, um, do we have that one? Because I want people to follow along. Yeah, okay, sweet. Um, so basically, Jesus is, um, his haters are growing by the day. Okay, he's just, his, he's controversial. He goes through th- places that people don't go through. He talks to people that rabbis shouldn't talk to. But anyways, he gets news from uh, earlier that basically uh, uh, Lazarus, his friend, uh, is, is ill. So when he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you and you want to go there again? That's kind of like not good for the brand. <laughs> Jesus answers, are there not 12 hours in the day? It kind of, I kind of read that and I was like, does, is Jesus throwing out one of those, does a bear not in the woods? <laughs> it's like, uh, what? It's like, it's just a crazy response. Like just, just stop for a second. Think about that reply. Hey, Jesus, if we go back that way, they're probably going to try and kill you. Is there not 12 hours in the day? 
<laughs> what? <laughs> like, just slow down for a second. I was talking to Derek about this. You know that little thing that pops up on your phone? It's like the, you're going on Instagram, and it's like, uh, you've been on Instagram a lot, and you're like, ignore. <laughs> Gotta check my, my DMs. <laughs> That's sort of like, I, sometimes the way I read Jesus' words, okay, get to the point. It's like, I, I just, I skip past all the barriers. For some reason, I don't know why, it's just, it, it is. But are there not 12 hours in the day? What kind of reply is that? That's a crazy response. But Jesus kind of clarifies, and I think it's really funny. He goes, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Okay, who's less confused? Because I'm not. I'm now more confused. So he poses a question, gives you an answer, and also I'm still more confused? He's doing this on purpose, obviously, but even deeper than that, there's a reason why he's talking about light and dark. Ultimately, disciples are trying to avoid pain. They don't want to get in trouble. And Jesus' whole point is when, what he's telling the disciples is that we can't follow our carnal fears, our natural inclinations and worries because it's like stumbling around in the dark. But walk in the daylight. God's got a mission for us and it's in the daylight. And a lot of the times it's embracing things that are challenging and difficult. And sometimes, in some cases, potentially violent. I mean, you look at missionaries who go to places that are like intensely violent against Christians. They are walking in the daylight, but it's not easy. But that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, don't follow your natural thing to stay home, to not come to church. Because if you didn't come to church today and you needed healing, you missed out this morning. And I, I, I'm not trying to sound like cruel or something, but if the Spirit of God doesn't decide to move that in the 11 o'clock, for this moment, you missed out. I'm not saying God's going to leave you high and dry because he never gives up on us, but you missed out. So, understand that sometimes when God is calling us to do things, and sometimes they're simple things and sometimes they're hard things, he's telling us to walk in the light. Don't stumble around in the darkness. So my last point here is Jesus challenges people to engage their faith. And again, that duality is going on here. Sometimes we can challenge people to engage their faith. I had a really great conversation with somebody and I kind of asked them, I'm like, do you, do you want to have faith? And they, and they never really answered me. And I think they're walking through what they're walking through, and it's awesome. But sometimes God does challenge people. Jesus challenges people to engage their faith. I, I read a book by uh, an author named uh, Nathan Finocchio. It's, it's really good. It's called Hearing God. And uh, I, there's a summary in it that says, this is the book that we didn't know we needed from another preacher person. And I think that's a really great summary of this book. It's the book we didn't know that we needed. And uh, if you want to read it, you should. It's on Amazon. Um, but he talks about faith a little bit, a fair bit. But one line that really, I think, kind of ties into this really well is faith comes by hearing. It's as simple as that. Faith isn't about you. It's about God and his words. This takes all the pressure off of you because it's less about what you can do and more about what you can hear. One of the most direct questions that Jesus asks is in Mark 29, it's in a few other of the gospels, but basically it just says, who do you say that I am? He's talking to the disciples. 
And I want to just leave that up there to kind of close out. Who do you say that I am? Financial crisis, sickness. Who do you say God is in that situation? The, the right answer to the question was Peter saying that you are the Christ. You are the son of God. You are the savior of our souls. You are the Messiah. But I think that question is initiated by Jesus thousands of years ago and is still prevalent today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that he is in your life, in your actions, in how you interact with people? How do you answer that question? Some people say, you know, are you a prophet? Some people just say, oh, Jesus was a, pro a good, he's a prophet, it's cool. Some people say, oh, Jesus, he was a nice guy. He was a fun guy. He was an inspiring person in history. And that's kind of like what some of the other disciples say. They're like, yeah, you're kind of like, you're popular. People know who you are. Some people like you, some people don't. Who do you say that Jesus is? And if you're in this room and going to church or you haven't been going to church, doesn't matter. I want to publicly and officially invite you to follow Jesus. Officially start following him right now. Not tomorrow, right now. And I want everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And this isn't just a re religious tradition. This is supposed to just breathe and block out all the noise I myself I'm going to close my eyes block out all the noise of the world of politics of social media of who likes you who doesn't like you the thing that you said that you didn't mean to say the thing you did said that you did mean to say just block it all out for one moment and if you want to follow Jesus or start following Jesus, or continue following Jesus, I want you to put your hand up. But before you do, this is officially you saying that you're gonna allow me to pray for you at the end of this. So on the count of three, I want you to put your hand up if you wanna continue or start following Jesus. One, you'll never be the same, I promise. Two, he loves you and he cares for your needs. Three, go ahead, put your hand up if you wanna follow Jesus just a little bit more or start. My hand is up. My eyes are closed, so I don't know who's put their hands up and who hasn't. God, I thank you so much for every single person in this room, and I pray right now that you would inspire and show them ways to start following Jesus. God, I thank you that each person who has been obedient and publicly acknowledged they're going to put their hands up and start following you, they have heard your voice, and their faith can continue to grow. God, you are amazing, and we thank you, and we love you, and I pray that each person with their hand up would either plug into this community even further or find a community of believers to plug into just a little bit farther. God, you are holy and you are amazing. Encourage each person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We would love to connect with you on Facebook and Instagram or join us for one of our Sunday services and experience the worship and message live.